Hey there, I'm Scott Bertram, and I'm the director of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. This show and all the other shows on the network are listener-supported. That means we hope for, we count on, frankly, we rely on the support of listeners like you to make our educational outreach possible. One of the best and most convenient ways to do so is joining the Liberty and Learning Society. That's our exclusive monthly giving group. And in this month of March, we are looking for 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society. When you join, you'll help defend liberty through education, and you'll make shows like this one possible far into the future. All you have to do is visit hillsdale.edu slash monthly and complete the secure online donation form. If you need to pause or stop your gift at some point, no problem. Just call us. One of our friendly students or staff will help you. But today, will you be one of the 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society in March? Go to hillsdale.edu slash monthly to join the Liberty and Learning Society today. Help us bring these shows to you and other Americans at hillsdale.edu slash monthly. Welcome to Hillsdale College's Classical Education Podcast, bringing you insight into classical education and its unique emphasis on human virtue and moral character, responsible citizenship, content-rich curricula, and teacher-led classrooms. And now your host, Scott Bertram. Thanks for listening. We're joined today by Ron Jones, a historical kinesiologist. Ron, thanks so much for joining us here on the Hillsdale College Classical Education Podcast. Thank you, Scott and Hillsdale, for having me today. It's quite an honor. Oh, we're talking today about American physical education and its classical roots. But for many of our listeners, Ron, I think we better start with uh, defining or at least explaining a little bit what a uh, what a historical kinesiologist is. Well, it's, that's a good place to start. Kinesiology is the art and science of human movement, if you put it on a bumper sticker definition. So what I have ended up doing... Um, and we could talk about how that happened, but as I study the history of the art and science of movement and how how that developed throughout time and what it looks like today. So how did you get into that and, 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 and become this, uh, I guess we'd call it a physical education historian? Well, it was never part of the plan. As, as so many times in life, um, things just happen, and we can say it was an accident or maybe it was fake. As I look around the country today and I see the deep concerns about the directions that we're going, as we've lost our way without a classical mindset in education, maybe there's a bit of fate involved. Um, but I used to teach a, a class at the community college. It was called Shape Up out in California. And the class was open to everyone in the community as well as the currently enrolled students. So I had people right out of high school working on their degrees, 18 years old. And I also had World War II vet- combat veterans. My oldest student was 92. And I'd never worked with seniors before. And when I started working with them, they, they would make references to Jack Elaine. And I remember hmm. seeing that as I was growing up in the 60s and 70s. And then I went to work on my master's degree, and I decided to do my thesis in sport and exercise psychology. And I started thinking more about Jack Elaine and how he was able to set the world record for the longest ongoing daily TV show with nothing more than body weight, a chair, a towel, and some tubing. And I started thinking about the psychology involved. And I, I was I ended up interviewing him before he passed away, actually, for my thesis. 
And it just got me really interested in in vintage exercise. And then I that led me to Muscle Beach in California in the 1930s through the 1950s. And then after that, it was just a very fast train ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's go back, Ron. Let's tap into this uh, wealth of knowledge that you bring to the uh, the podcast today. If we go to the classical world, especially, say, in Greece, what would physical education, what did physical education look like there? Well, I think a nice way to summarize, it was a physical culture, so the physical surrounded them. And, of course, it was a pre-machine age, and people just had to do more manual work, but it was ingrained into their society. And so even as a toddler, before, uh, let's say, kindergarten age here, they the mothers would be working with the infants or toddlers on, on balance and rhythm. And then they went to the gymnasium uh, very soon in their education. It was very physical. In fact, up, up to about 50% of their education system was based in the physical. So it, I, it's a different way of looking at it. It's like it was just everywhere. That's my understanding of it. Versus here where you don't see much unless you go to the quote-unquote PE class. Mm-hmm. Or you go to the sport program, and it, it was like a separate thing. But in that society, it was just what they did and how they lived life. It was essentially essential for for life, right? Moving well, being active, being being physically fit. That that you you needed to be that way to to continue on in life. Yes, and I wrote down to this point, uh, Scott: essential, not optional. Mm-hmm. And, and what we've done now is we've made it optional, not essential. Hence, we have serious issues in this country um, in terms of longevity and, and just survival at this point. In the classical world, again, how does this look on, on a day-to-day basis when we talk about physical education, staying fit, and, and again, sort of weaving this into their everyday lives? Well, you know... The two most important points from my research was that they, they focused on balance and rhythm. And if you think about that, and especially the people that work with children today, what they're grossly missing is a sense of balance. And I'm just talking about physical balance from a, um, you know, not falling or vestibular sense, but just a balance in life, period. And the rhythm is just not there. I mean, having worked with year-round, quote-unquote, athletes that are children, most of them don't have a sense of balance and rhythm. And there's a complete disconnect from their bodies. So my question to the listeners is, how in the world can you live well and have a quality life when you're disconnected from your bodies? If you could compare the culture of the classical world, the culture of today, for example, if someone says, I like sports today, they're probably, well, maybe more than likely, talking about uh, watching, uh, attending, spectating, maybe, maybe viewing on television. Uh, back then, I imagine if someone said the equivalent of, I like sports, they, meant they, they were taking part, they were actually doing things. Yes, and that, that brings up a whole deep area that most people have never heard of called spectatoritis. And my favorite, uh, not just physical education author and personality, but favorite 
writer of all time was J. Brian Nash from New York University. He's a fascinating person to study. Very few people in my uh, profession even know he existed. But he wrote a book in the 30s called Spectatoritis, and, and it was coming out of the industrial age. It was a, it was a big uh, national conversation in America about leisure time developed by the machine age and what, what people were going to do with all this extra time that they were saving with the machines doing their work for them. And there was a big concern that was valid, Scott, because we, we didn't train people how to use their free time. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to ancient Greece. The classical idea of leisure determines the longevity and survival of your nation, period, end of story. That sounds completely bizarre to people today. But he saw he was classically trained as well, and he started writing about this with other people around the country. And, and we realized that people were using their free time very poorly. And so what they ended up doing is sitting and watching instead of participating. And that we, we built these bigger and bigger and bigger stadiums to the point now we have 100-plus thousand people sitting in a stadium watching a couple dozen people hmm. or less. <laughs> and you get absolutely nothing, nothing out of that hmm. in terms of elevating culture. There's no redeeming quality whatsoever. It's just entertainment, and that's it. Talking with Ron Jones, historical kinesiologist here on the Hillsdale College Classical Education Podcast on American physical education and its classical roots. If we move forward, uh, say to the early 1900s, physical education in America in the early 1900s, what does it look like back then? Well, it it was referred to in in many circles as medical gymnastics. It was very formalized. We had we had definite influences from, especially from Germany, but also Sweden and Denmark. And uh, you know, of course, we we were a country of immigrants, so all these different people, the Czechoslovakian Sokol, they they brought over these wonderful systems of physical education, physical culture, and we essentially had the best of the best from all over the world. It was great. It was the golden era of physical education and. We can loosely say it was from about 1885 to 1920, although it was around before then, and, and, and with some people in some pockets, it never totally went away after 1920, but it was more formalized. And it was very skill-based. You know, there were definitely uh, instructors that were formally trained, and the concept of just going to the gym to work out, that wasn't how they did it then. You went to improve the skill. Mm-hmm. There was also something that we can define as noble purpose, and that's preservation of nations. So this gets into the philosophy, and this is what's missing today is the philosophy behind physical education and exercise. Like, why are we doing it in the first place? And please don't tell me it's to lower your blood pressure and and, uh, to prevent injuries and all that. I'm talking about deep philosophy that keeps America great beyond the rhetoric. Okay, what? why are we doing it? What is our purpose for doing it? And that that was ingrained into many of the systems. And of course, this is the World War One era when, you know, the world was on fire, right? And so there was definitely a, a purpose to being fit and strong and defending our country. Yeah, let me ask about that. In those years, of course, World War One and later in that century, World War Two, how, how does military training or the thought of potentially fighting in a war like that, influence the teaching of physical education? Well, if, if you look at classical PE, the design of classical PE, the, 
we can say there's three content areas, and, and the first was restorative arts, and that was to restore the body to its natural condition. And especially today, to me, that's the most important area to work on because we see most children have deformities by second grade that are developed because of lifestyle, not because they were born with them. The second content area was martial. So that was for self-defense and national defense. And really great PE programs, or even good ones, always had some kind of martial component. It could be wrestling, boxing, you know, martial arts, something like that. And then the third area is pedagogy, and that's where you got into sports games, recreation, play, dance, philosophy, and things like that. So that's kind of how it was designed in the World War One era. And the guy to look at was Herman Kohler at West Point Military Academy. He set up their physical education program that won the First World War. That's what we returned to in World War Two, because post-World War One, we dumped the more military, formalized, uh, physical education that was quite heavily influenced by Germany. Of course, Germany, we were fighting a World War One, so it was a sentiment there of, you know, we would, didn't want to do the German type of programming anymore. And Americans were more into sports, so we thought, we'll just do sports for PE. And, and one of the things you wanted to talk about today is what's wrong with sport-based PE? Well, it creates asymmetries or imbalances. Every sport creates an imbalance. doesn't matter which one you do. So if you're trying to get in shape and stay in shape as a as a country using sports for PE, you're just creating a lot of imbalanced children. And there's other reasons why sports is completely stupid to, to program PE as a base. It's just, for, 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 first of all, you alienate most of the kids. Mm-hmm. Most people don't do organized sports sure. after they graduate from school. And so they, they're not learning the skill set they need to take care of themselves and stay healthy and heal their own injuries when appropriate. I mean, sometimes you need a physician and medical intervention, but so much of this stuff you can do on your own or prevent if you know how to take care of yourself. And the kids today aren't learning any of that. Talking with Ron Jones, historical kinesiologist here on the Hillsdale College Classical Education Podcast. So if we if we take some of those lessons, what do you think we can learn from our history when designing our physical education classes today? Well, that's a really deep question. I think the, the first step is to watch the film that I made with Doug Orchard, and I, this has nothing to do with finances because we put way more money into the film than we'll ever make back. Um, it's called The Motivation Factor, and the website for the film is motivationmovie.com. It's the only physical education documentary film ever. So in 90 minutes, you're going to get why classical PE is important and why it needs to be here today and what's going to happen to us if we don't put it back into education. And that really is the best starting point. That's why Doug and I got together and made the film. I highly recommend it. Until you watch that film, it's very difficult for me to have a conversation with people at, at any high level. And, and it, but it's made for parents. It's made for everyday people. It's really more of an education film than a quote-unquote PE film. But you'll see the connections, you'll see the references to Greece, you'll see the, the references to sound mind, sound body. And it's just it's just stunning that we've turned our back and, and all of that. So first of all, why are we doing it? The philosophy has to be first, if you want to put this back together. I get a lot of questions, Scott, from all over the world about methods. Don't talk to me about methods until you talk to me about philosophy. <laughs> and, and people like J.B. Nash knew that. The people I study knew that. They had the philosophy as a foundation. 
and then they brought in the methods that supported the philosophy. So that's a good question to ask, I suppose, at this point. If we're concerned with philosophy, and that's that's a, that's kind of a, a starting point, uh, what would you recommend or what would you prescribe as a philosophy for people to have in mind as they're designing classes? I think just a good starting point for people is to start thinking about quality of movement and, and actually and beyond the philosophy course. First of all, we have to take care of our country. We have to preserve our nation. We have to elevate culture. We have to be good citizens good people. That's all the philosophical basis. When we get into the actual movement skills, how well are people moving? Because that is just absent from exercise in America, for the most part, or and definitely from physical education. It's, okay, we're going to run a mile because we have to test for the mile in our PE testing. Well, do you even know how to walk? Do you even know how to stand? Mm Mm-hmm. Can you, can you run speed agility equipment drills at a regressed level teaching quality of movement and that's safe and appropriate for every grade level and for every weight and dysfunction level? Because now we have a morbid, obese kid trying to move, right? So there's just so much that goes into this. But if I had to simplify it, you know, why are we doing it? And then start thinking about teaching people to move well. And unfortunately, you're not going to see that in the college preparation systems, getting teachers ready to teach. It's just not there. Yeah. Ron, if we don't make changes, and I use the royal we here, meaning uh, the country at large, right? If, if we don't make changes, if we don't sort of revive physical, physical education, and, and we don't look back to the classical roots and, and the philosophies that you've described, What's at stake? What do we? What do we? Uh, what do we lose? What do we? What are we unable to get back if we don't make these changes? We're done. It's as simple as that. If if you look at the cycles of civilization written throughout time, we are at the end stages and cycles. And basically, the last cycle or stage in the cycle is anarchy and chaos. After that, the dictator enters to restore order, and that's where we're at. And great PE programs throughout history taught mental stability. And so when I look around and I see so many out-of-control children and adults, they, they weren't taught to earn mental stability through movement. You can't live life well without being physically literate. It's never worked, nor will it work now, or will it work in the future. And perhaps for parents who are listening, Ron, and maybe their children are involved in a physical education program that doesn't meet these these standards that we've discussed today, and they still want to augment perhaps what children are doing in school with maybe some things at home, are, are there any suggestions you could offer for them? Well, I think we go back to why are you doing it, and... There has to be, you know, especially from an American standpoint, this is very patriotic for me. There has to be that preservation nation, that noble purpose, that uplift of our country to make us better as global citizens, not just as a nation, but as global citizens. And then look for the quality. You can put a, you can put the classical eyes on anything 
and start improving it right away, even even if you don't have a high-level skill set. I mean, a lot of this just comes down to common sense, Scott, which is not common anymore. I understand that. But stop believing what you're told by all the SOAR programs that are there to make money. These parents have been brainwashed into thinking their kids need to compete year-round at a higher level than Division One athletes, and, and we're creating these in, extremely imbalanced children that are absolutely psychotic at times from the stress involved in this year-round competition. And then if you can't pay the bills for all that, then you're just off in the weeds, and, and now we're trying to talk about video games and how that's a sport. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> insane. So um, common sense. You know, what's really good for your kids and, and follow the money. With a lot of youth sport programs, it's about the money. It's definitely not about quality training. Hmm. I mean, I can have that conversation with those people any day, and I'm, I'm fully prepared to do that. Ron Jones, historical kinesiologist, with us here on the Hillsdale College Classical Education Podcast, talking American physical education and its classical roots. Ron, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott, and and, uh, I'm really supportive of what you're doing at Hillsdale, bringing back that classical education approach and also focusing in on classical PE because if we have a future, that's where it's going to be. I'm Scott Bertram. We invite you to like us on Facebook. Search for Hillsdale College K-12 Classical Education. You also can follow us on Instagram at Hillsdale underscore K-12, Hillsdale underscore K-12 on Instagram, and check out our website, k 12 hillsdale.edu Thank you for listening to the Hillsdale College Classical Education Podcast. Mm-hmm.